I'm Cohen Bunch, and I'm a close personal friend of the Court of Nerds. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Le Court du Nerd with the Z Team. I'm Grant. I'm Kevin. And I'm talking on Kevin's amazing new Wizard of Oz TV. <laughs> so this is, this is kind of cool. Yeah, it is It is absolutely nice. Bought a new 2018 LG Ultra High Definition HDR 65-inch set. And dear God, <laughs> I was watching Black Panther before uh, me and Grant started talking in 4K HDR, and I don't want to watch anything in even high definition anymore because it is gorgeous. And you don't want to watch any other movie aside from Black Panther in 4K. Uh, pretty well, honestly, <laughs> probably Lego Batman. Lego Batman will be fine. Fair enough. Well, we're we're coming at you with the, our four pillars, and Kevin is going to start things off. With a bit of gaming. Oh, right. And so for gaming this week, now you know, uh, now that I got this great video gaming rig and stuff like that, I'm going to talk tabletop games because that <laughs> makes sense. Uh, you know, Grant, it is a really good time to be a fan of tabletop games for specific nerd titles. Not only can you play a game based on John Carpenter's The Thing and pre-order the fabulous new game based on Mike Magnola's Hellboy, Ooh. but IDW Games, we heard of, you know, based, this is all coming from Gizmodo, is giving you and your friends the opportunity to protect Gotham City from all manner of crime in the style of the proud and best superhero comic cartoon series, Batman, the animated series. It's called Gotham Under Siege, and for one to five players to cooperatively take on the mantle of one of Gotham's saviors, both vigilante and police, to fight Gotham's colorful rogues galleries of ne'er-do-wells, psychos, and retrobates. You can choose to play as Batman, Robin, Batgirl, Catwoman, or the combined might of Commissioner Gordon and Renee Montoya. The game is designed by Richard Linus and Michael Giuliardo, and has players use a, quote, dice allocation and threat management system to defend the city against henchmen and bosses to fight and save the city from being destroyed. End quote. This is all coming from the, the Kickstarter video and stuff like that. So, like, the very specifics of it, I am not privy to. But honestly, like, the miniatures look super cool. It's a very noble goal to create the Batman the Animated Series game. They say each game will take between 45 to 60 minutes to complete, which I think fits very well in trying to get some of those new tabletop gamers into the community. And you can play by yourself if you want to. So when, when I say one to five player, you can literally have the game play against you. Now, it, you're, you're going to be rolling for the opponent as well. But, you know, you can you can have yourself and you can play. So if you're sitting in your basement eating Cheetos, you can free that use that one other hand to move figures around a cardboard board. The game features an all new artwork in the distinctive Bruce Tim style character miniatures, 3D city buildings and more. They also promise that this will just be the beginning with subsequent releases with new villains and settings. We're already stoked to play the almost got him game a few years ago. Now, this is a, I talked about this <laughs> in the in Sledge on Gaming in the like the Batman miniature game that uh, was supposed to come out and it really didn't come out. This this hopefully it's it's already met its goal Kickstarter wise. Oh, so, let's hope. I mean, all the licensing is there. Let's hope uh, it'll be a good game. 
Batman the Animated Series Gotham Under Siege will be released this August okay. by IDW Games. So immediately, as soon as you started rattling off characters, I just imagined all of us playing, but we workshop a couple characters and make it GCPD only. Like have Christmas oh, Allen and Jim Corrigan and Harvey Bullock. Bullock! I am Bullock. Do you know how much... Oh, this just sounds like a blast. I would love to do GCPD versus all these things and maybe have like... The comic book had it. Oh, it's always a race against Batman to see who can close these cases. Oh, and it would be great. Like, and fuck, I could sculpt my own figures and everything like that. <laughs> and uh, I, uh, I and I will silently judge everybody else's painting jobs. It'll be great. So we're gonna pitch this to to the IDW Games as an expansion, correct? Oh, <laughs> I, I am typing the email as we speak. <laughs> so that's what I have for games. Okay. Uh, well, we'll hop over to me for movies. One thing, I actually found out two bits of movie news that stirred feelings within me. The first kind of ties to this interview that Alex White and Keanu Reeves gave for Entertainment Weekly a month or two ago about Bill and Ted and how they had always wanted to do the third movie in the trilogy and, you know, George Carlin died and things have looked a little bit iffy. But apparently, Keanu Reeves and Alex Winter have signed on for a third installation of Bill and Ted. And yeah. this is called Bill and Ted Face the Music, which is going to be kind of like a Christmas Carol version of Bill and Ted. It's got the original writers Chris Matheson and Ed Solomon, and the film would be directed by Dean Parasot, who did Galaxy Quest, which I, I still love. And in this, everything about this release sounds amazing. Bill and Ted are now middle-aged dads. They've got kids. They're still married to the princess. They've written thousands of tunes, but they have yet to write a good one, much less the greatest song ever written. And the whole point of this movie is they're in pursuit of writing that fabled song that unites the universe together. And I love that as a bookend for the entire Bill and Ted movie series. Uh, have you read any of the Bill and Ted comics? I have a couple, but like the ones by uh, Evan Dorkin for Marvel. Yeah. 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 <laughs> And uh, th this really does sound like a storyline of them trying to figure out why they haven't taken off yet. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I, I, I'm assuming there is a threat from the future that they have to overcome. It was it was a pretty solid like comic. It was full of a lot of yucks. Yeah. But also a bit of it, it was a bit misogynistic as. But let's be honest, that's true to the source material. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, I like the idea of this movie, and this whole Bill and Ted thing is basically the antithesis of the other bit of news that I found. So you know how people like remaking Stephen King properties, correct? Oh, absolutely. Apparently, there people are redoing Pet Cemetery. Like, it's why? <laughs> it's, I, don't, I don't know. And the film will be helmed by Dennis Widmeyer and Kevin Kolsch, the co-directors of the 2014 horror film Starry Eyes. The screenwriter Jeff Bueller acknowledged that he hopes the director will focus on the original source material and create the scariest Stephen King adaptation ever, which immediately turns me off to this because, holy shit, Stephen King things are very scary. And if they think this is going to be scarier than the It that came out last year, I don't want any part of this. What was that? Starry Eyes? Yeah. All right, so that has a current rating of Rotten. Ooh. On Rotten Tomatoes, so it, but it's just, it's just at Rotten. It's sixty percent. Okay. I haven't seen the new It. The last 
Stephen King movie that I think I've seen was thinner. Oh gosh. That, date, that dates me. The but uh, I I'm not allowed. I can't watch horror movies with my wife ever since The Ring, which uh, she'll she'll get pissed at me. Uh, she'll never listen to this. Uh, but uh, she'll get pissed at me because I like took her while we were in school when The Ring came out. I took her to it and you know went and watched it in the theater and stuff like that. Uh, and uh, I, I kind of like campy horror movies. And at the when the movie was over, because apparently I didn't pay any attention to her the entire time. And it ended, I was like, oh, that was pretty good. And I look at her, and there's, like, tears streaming down her face. And oh. she's like, I never want to see another horror movie again. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> good grief, man. So uh, I have not taken my wife to see another horror movie, and we have not seen another horror movie ever since then. Well, makes sense. And this one, I believe this, they really could stay true to their word and have this be the scariest King adaptation ever, just because, simply put, horror seems to be moving away from just, like, that gore porn of, like, the Saw movies and Hostel movies, and they're getting a lot more, they're striking at the audiences, their emotions and the tension levels. Just, like, thinking about the Blumhouse pictures that have come out recently didn't cost anything to make, but they were so effective. And recently, John Krasinski's movie has been terrifying the balls off of people. I really just... want to see The Quiet Place. Yeah. I really do. And it, it's just all really thoughtfully well done. And I, all I can think about is how much this would prey on the emotions of people who are very much like pet people. And seeing <laughs> that which they love turned against them. I, I, you couldn't pay me enough to see this movie. It just seems like a, a remake that's going to terrify people and i don't want any part of it <laughs> and see for for me like having i don't have any pets my pets is the wildlife that's around my house i spent time today recording a mama fox trying to teach a baby fox and how to pounce on prey and she like <laughs> brought a dead chipmunk over and like laid it down and you saw this little fox just like put up its hind legs and pounce on the already dead chipmunk and I thought I thought it was adorable. That that, that it, it might maybe the movie's right for me. You know? <laughs> maybe this will be the one that brings you back. Maybe maybe. And the last thing I wanted to touch on was I am just beyond excited that The Boys is being turned into a television series. If you haven't read Garth Ennis and Derek Robertson's The Boys, please do. It's about a government-controlled team that regulates superheroes. And it's incredibly violent, and it's just really well done. And it's going to be made into a show by the production team of Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg, who did Preacher, which is really good. The They won't be able to direct the first episode like they did with Preacher. However, they brought in Dan Trachtenberg to direct the first episode of the show, which debuts on Amazon. He's the director for 10 Cloverfield Lane, and he's directed episodes of Black Mirror. Yeah. So if that doesn't serve as a good resume coming into this, I don't know what will. And as long as, and maybe this is going back to like the horror roots, as long as it isn't overly gory. Like, violence, but not like gore for gore's sake. Yeah. Let's be honest, Rogan has his moments where uh, he just goes over the top for the sake of being over. I'm thinking of, like, episodes of The League. One of the things I'm curious (laughs) about is how they're going to do, 
like that first episode. This is kind of a spoiler if you haven't read the book, but the series basically kicks off with Wee Huey's girlfriend being decapitated by a superhero speedster. I don't know how that's going to work out, but the fact that Carl Urban is going to be Billy Butcher, everything's okay. They can do whatever, and I think I'm going to support it. I'm hoping that since it's going to be on Amazon, you know, uh, we can see some of the... There are less restrictions, Yes, uh, how you say. And so, uh, you know, maybe not keep it as as gory as, say, some of the panels mm-hmm. that, that are in the comics, but definitely have that hyper-violence there uh, on display. Yeah, they're they're gonna have to, or else it's gonna be, it's gonna achieve a rating that I don't know if they can do that. The book is just it's just so it's a great book, but my gosh, some of the the panels will turn your stomach. Well, and but and that's like Rogan knows how to do that. He knows how to push that button to to make me want to vomit in my mouth a little. But nonetheless, this just makes me excited that they brought Trachtenberg in. I think it's gonna be a good pull. And my gosh, I can't wait for the show to come out. Yeah, so set your uh, Amazon account. Is that what you got for TV and movies? That is it. All right, I am ready to bore people to death with tech. Are you ready? I know Stacy is. <laughs> well, we'll see after this, because she has been falling back into the Apple camp. Oh, no. But anyway, this past two days has been the Microsoft Build event. And it might be the nerdiest of nerdiest things that you get because it's essentially a bunch of programmers and stuff that come together that tell the future of Microsoft product. But in the past, yeah, that that might have been boring and, and less exciting. Well, Microsoft is changing as they are moving away from Windows being their end all be all. So after two days of the Microsoft build keynotes, we've seen a lot. There were cloud IPIs, a live coding demonstration, and one time Microsoft pulled away a wall to reveal a demo meeting room. So if you ever want to see like a virtual meeting room, (laughs) you got your chance. But mixed within all of these things were some exciting announcements. New Windows features, improvements for voice assistance, and helpful new cloud services. Much of it won't be widely available until later this year but some of the most exciting stuff that Microsoft has had to share. Microsoft previewed a new app called Your Phone that can sync Android and iPhones with Windows 10. You'll be able to use Pop-Up to send text messages, access your photos, view mobile notifications from your computer. So essentially, all your most important phone functions will automatically be streamed once linked to your computer. They already have some of these features now, but it's going to be uniquely tied into your phone, and it'll be instantaneous. This feature is already in beta and is expected to launch publicly uh, this fall. Uh, I said here a while back, back on like a Mr. Sledge's neighborhood, maybe like a half a year ago, uh, about Microsoft partnering with Amazon, and they were combining Cortana and Alexa. Now, let's let's be honest, Cortana, even though I, I am currently using her to talk to you, Grant, uh, I can... <laughs> Thanks, Cortana. Uh, you can, uh, Cortana and Alexa will be tied in to each other. They'll be able to access each other's suites. It's still awkward, though. Sometime in the near future, you'll be able to speak to Cortana through an Amazon Echo or reach Alexa through your Windows 10 PC or any like of the... Cortana devices like the uh, Harman Kardon or like the the smart thermostat and stuff like that that if you talk to. Partnership between Microsoft and Amazon is making each other's smart assistants available on each other's platforms 
And it was announced last year, but now we actually got to see it in action. On stage, the, the representatives from Microsoft and Amazon demoned the integration of the Echo and the Surface. The problem is these two devices are very, very different in functionality. Integration isn't perfect. You have to say to the Echo, Alexa, open Cortana. And you have to say to your Windows PC, Cortana, open Alexa. <laughs> ain't nobody so, got time for that. Ain't, ain't, ain't nobody got time to say the names of two digital assistants. <laughs> and so the thing is, it actually worked fairly well in demonstration, as they're supposed to. Now, Amazon is already delving into their own car services. And so like you'll see Amazon Music and stuff like that in cars in the near future, and hopefully you'll be able to also access your Windows PC remotely through Alexa on those systems. So imagine you have, uh, now this is of course in areas where there is perfect, and in a future of 5G coverage, you can literally say to your car as you're driving, Alexa, open Cortana, Cortana, pull something off of my like OneDrive or something like that. And you'll be able to pull it directly to your car. Like these are all possibilities in the future. Is this anything that anybody wants? I'm not sure. I am the most, uh, the biggest of Microsoft proponents and I will probably never use this. And so moving on, Microsoft just introduced the timeline which is its uh, latest update to Windows. Uh, I actually uh, downloaded the latest Windows update. And now this tool is about to get even more useful. Windows 10 timeline keeps track of all the apps you're using and what you're doing in them. You can open up the timeline and view your history and jump right back in to where you were. Hmm. So Grant, when you're looking at Pornhub on your phone, your computer can automatically pull it up and bring it up right where you left off. Oh, thank God. Uh, I know. Uh, what's powerful about the timeline is that it can sync across Windows 10 devices as well. Whoa. And so, yeah, not just your computer can pull it up, but hey, my Xbox could pull it up directly while we're, you know, watching Black Panther together. And I can tell Cortana to, you know, pull up my internet history. And there we go. And we can watch it. Watch it right there. On iOS, it'll be a tab inside of the Edge browser, which, you know, no Apple user is ever going to download Microsoft Edge to use in their phone. I don't even think they know it exists. And so, hey, there's my bit of tech. That was the Microsoft build for the past two days. Uh, it, there was more things there, but I thought these were the highlights. <laughs> God damn it. Stop. Cortana closed. <laughs> she heard me say Alexa. And apparently it's already updated and it is trying to bring up Alexa commands. I am going to have an echo start going off in the other room. <laughs> this is your future, ladies and gentlemen. I guess while Kevin is staring daggers at all of his electronics from the future, I'll just segue right into comic books oh so smoothly. I was looking at a bunch of press releases today, and I saw one from Boom Studios, which typically, every once in a while, Boom puts out a, a book that I, I want to get my grubby mitts on. And this one really piqued my interest. It's from Matt Kent, who many of you may remember from Mind MGMT. He also did some work with Valiant that was really good. But he's putting out this book called 
the black badge. Initially, I was like, oh, this sounds like it must be some kind of supernatural stuff. Well, this is about a top-secret group of elite Boy Scouts called the Black Badges who take on missions that adults can't handle. This is, <laughs> this is the promotional material says, kids who know they must fix the world that adults have broken. I love that tagline. I this love is fantastic. Th- Don't you want to read it now? Right now! It's reminiscent of uh, Lumberjanes, just a little bit. The fact that it's kids taking on stuff that adults can't handle at camp, or in a camp setting. I love that. Lumberjanes is fantastic. I love the idea of kids doing things that adults can't do. Like, uh, Four Kids Walk Into a Bank by Matthew Rosenberg. That was fun. Stuff like this, I think, just really resonates with, you know, readers that are around me and Kevin's age. We're in our our mid-30s, and this kind of stuff just is... It's really fun to read because there's no turmoil of adulting and there's no snootiness of like the just out of college kids. This is just perfect. So I'm like, I'm looking at the press release now, man. Oh man. I I love the cover. This looks great. Like seriously, they have the sashes with all the badges and everything on them. Elite Boy Scouts. Uh, This comes out (laughs) August, 2018. And it looks like uh, the Matt, Matt Kent is doing the main cover. And I know he worked with, uh, I want to say Jeff Lemire yeah. with uh, Department H, if memory serves correctly. And Jeff Lemire is doing uh, variant covers of this, too. Yeah, yeah. this this is going to be great. Definitely put it on your pull list. I don't see why this wouldn't be amazing. The other thing I want to touch on is something that Kevin and I have disagreed with over the last week. We're talking about the new Avengers by Jason Aaron and Ed McGuinness. I was really pumped when I heard that this they were the creative team behind this book. Just because I love the way McGuinness draws comic books. His characters are, big, are larger than life. They look like they could lift a building. And his action sequences are all great. However, this book initially does a couple things that I don't like. And I'll present the problem and Kevin will give his uh, counterpoint to it. First off, I detest Avengers 1 million BC. I thought that was a hokey, kind of contrived, stupid way to sell a book. And it uses that to kind of set the the table for this upcoming plot line. I don't like that notion. Kevin, what did you think about Avengers 1 million being brought back up? Uh, uh, I, I will totally agree with you. Until the aspect, and I started like trying to pick out the specific characters, and when they started name dropping, and I was just, uh, and some things like the ancient, the the prehistory Iron Fist makes little sense to me. Yeah. And Agamotto, and I was just kind of like, oh, that's very interesting. Seeing Agamotto as an actual person, but man, he looks really, really human. Yeah. Like this, this could this has like continuity problems, uh, like all lined up into it. Uh, but the big thing for me, because for me it was I was coming off fresh off of Mighty Thor mm. and having Odin in the in Valhalla while being simultaneously in the mortal realm and being the guide for for Jane to try to get her into Valhalla, uh, which she which she does. Spoiler alert! You know, 
uh, Jane doesn't actually die. She survives, and Odin's son ends up becoming Thor again, even though he's still not really worthy because the hammer's gone, but whatever. Whatever, uh, I think, is the best way to approach whatever. most of Marvel's continuity issues currently. W- whatever. And I, and I was seeing, like, Odin a million B.C., and I was just like, oh, this... First off, I didn't know he was a million years old, mm-hmm. you know, because Thor is often said he's what fifteen thousand years old or fifteen hundred years old. Uh, you know, he's he's not nearly as ancient as Odin, but I never expected Odin, you know, to be you know like pre Neanderthal, which know? is actually addressed by Black Panther when he's talking to Odin. I thought that right. was hilarious that yeah. <laughs> that they addressed that, and so like the. I, I I agree that the million BC is contrived, but there were those moments there that I was just like, I'm still kind of interested. I really want to know more about Agamotto uh, because I want to see if they can actually make this work. Because for me, I would like to know more about Agamotto. I would like to know more about his backstory and uh, how uh, somebody that is so often referenced in Doctor Strange is like how his character actually was. Because we don't know. This is new. Okay. I'll buy that. Um, another issue about this, well, about, about this issue that I had was when Doctor Strange, whose redesign I really do like, I like it a lot, is kind of dicking around with the Black Panther. And at one point, just the way Panther was skulking around and he got down. He like beat Strange down there, and all he said was, "How did you? Do, how did you get here?" Oh yeah, because you're Black Panther. As soon as he said that, I was like, "Oh, that's a that's a Batman kind of riff." And yeah. so help me God, if these or if Marvel tries to make Black Panther into the new Batman, like why would you need to? He's already a great character, as any of his previous comics have shown. They don't need to do shit like that. And uh, and this I totally and absolutely agree uh, about with until I started thinking about it in a different light and I started thinking about it more of a Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson. So if we can make Black Panther Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Strange Dr. Watson, you know, maybe I might buy that duo a little bit more. You have to make uh, Strange is already a bit schlocky uh, and stuff like that, uh, and he has to offer something a little bit more. But I could see Panther as a as a bit of a Holmes uncovering a mystery, because let's be honest, Dakala is the fifth smartest person in the Marvel universe. Uh, after his Bendis induced coma, <laughs> Stark is back. He was dead. Let's be honest, absolutely like, brain dead. Absolutely brain dead. He's back, and uh, I don't know how much of the infamous Iron Man you read and some of the other things, but, like, it's never really truly fully addressed. Of course You know, like, we, we know, and we knew from, like, last summer that Stark was coming back. In the wrap-up of all the events and stuff like that, we knew that was going to happen. It, it's taken now for it to actually happen, and they haven't, in my opinion, satisfactorily addressed how Tony Stark is a living, walking human. Well, that that's something that another one of the things I didn't like about this issue 
is he addresses the fact that he was brain dead. He was non-functional. And they reference that, but they don't say or even intimate how he came back. And I find that very irritating to just drop that in and not give a, any sort of hint whatsoever. And and maybe that was supposed to be, maybe that was Jason Aaron being a joke. Uh, that's a joke saying, it's like, we, we lost the guy, the DC that was writing all of this. <laughs> and so uh, here you go. It's just aggravating. If, if that's the case and Aaron was forced to kind of spin a couple plates that he inherited, that's not fair. He's a better writer than that. He is a better writer than that. And the Tony uh, I, he had to he had to present, I know you had qualms with too. Like he was just this wishy-washy whiny douchebag. He was a whiny douche. You are one of the smartest people in the universe. You run a multi-billion dollar company and you're whining about getting the superhero band back together. And even Steve Rogers, fresh off of his Nazi-loving secret empire running self. Or his subsequent Goodwill tour. Or his subsequent Goodwill tour. I didn't fully embrace... The the only character I thought that was really genuine of the trio was Thor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is one-dimensional. <laughs> yeah, but Aaron just writes him so... He writes him in a way that I want to hang out with Thor. And you can see, like, the fire in his belly and how he wants to get this back together. But in the face of that, Stark and even Rogers, to an extent, just kind of pale in comparison. When the Calamity, which we haven't talked about yet, when the Calamity unfolds and Thor is raising his hammer, he's like, I should have brought my axe. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, yeah, that's actually pretty good. That's timely. Mm. So what... So what did you think about the threat? Personally, I am sick of the global, the the ultimate global threat, which everyone seems to keep trying to stack on top of stacks of other previously global, potentially universe-threatening bullshit. And okay. this time, spoiler alert if you haven't read the book yet, this is a pause for you to turn this off. Okay, if you're still listening, the threat comes... On the heels of the bodies of dead celestials falling to Earth and just wrecking shit. And the only thought is, well, what on Earth can kill a celestial? (laughs) Well, nothing on Earth, obviously. Oh my gosh. I felt like Jonathan Hickman did this better in his Fantastic Four and FF run. Absolutely. And the the comparisons that he... Like the mad... Like Hickman's mad celestials. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Were were absolutely brilliant, and then throwing Galactus in in amongst them as essentially their equal made me stand up and like appreciate Galactus more. The the downside, I, like having two hundred celestial bodies bamfing from Earth orbit is weird. I will give you that. Like, and it has to tie in to whatever Thor or Odin and the rest of the ancient Avengers were doing on Midgard, you know, a million B.C. So it has to tie into that. The, how they uh, buried a celestial who apparently wasn't dead after all. Apparently wasn't. It's just, it seems so, like a celestial amongst itself is a problem. 200 dead ones raining down across the planet, crushing cities, you know, like, there's a scene where Car- Carol Danvers, like, catches one <laughs> and, like, gently lowers it essentially down. And it was like, okay, that's, that was kind of fucking badass. 
but it, it raises the threat level to such a degree. Like this is comic number one. And you're starting off with that. It turned my head and at the same time kind of turned my stomach because where do you go? Do you know what this is? This is Dragon Ball shit. Uh, I expect this out of Dragon Ball. I don't expect this out of Avengers. Yeah, I can see that where you keep power, like you're beyond God status. Mm -hmm. One of the things I I did like about this book, because I don't want to seem like I completely hated it, even though I give it maybe five stars. Five out of ten. I'm still absolutely captivated by the new Ghost Rider, the one who drives the muscle car. Yeah. I like the series by Tradmore. I thought it was interesting. I like this concept. I like how he's at war with this demon and stuff like that. And I want to see how he works into this Avengers lineup. I'm curious about that. And uh, we didn't get any indication how that's going to unfold in this in this first book. Mm-hmm. Uh, Outside of <laughs> Avengers 1 million BC Ghost Rider, who's riding a <laughs> mammoth. It, oh, Okay. Uh, fine. Uh, you sold me on one million BC, uh, a, a Ghost Rider mammoth. But overall, I give it a five out of ten. What would you give it? Uh, I, I'm again. I've been apparently more generous of late. Uh, I, I think I gave it in in my uh, initial review eight out of ten. Uh, you probably talked me down to a, a seven five or maybe a <laughs> seven even. Here's I just the want thing: to kill the wonder in your heart. Uh, <laughs> here's the thing. Did it make me not want to buy the next issue? No. Like, I want to still buy the next issue. I kind of want to know what's going to happen. Okay. Is the art good? Yes. The yes. art, I really, really like the art. And so for me, art is always going to be half of the score. All right? So if, if I think the art is a 4.5 out of 5, then that's automatically going to raise the score up to, you know, that seven, eight level, depending on writing, you know, because I, because is the writing terrible? No, there are some dialogue moments that I wish didn't happen. Is the story at, at points, things that I don't like, it brings that awe factor that it makes me still want to read. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to nail Jason Aaron, maybe as, as hard as you. Oh man. And I would, I would nail Jason Aaron. Yeah. Pretty oh, good. I know you would nail him. <laughs> Nail them hard. On that note, <laughs> I think we're going to wrap up this week's episode. This is the Z-Team signing off. Kevin, you got anything to plug? Let's cut all of this out. Cut all of this out. <laughs> we love comics. Yeah, we'll fix it in post. And as always, uh, check out all of our delightful podcasts. You can find most of them on iTunes and any podcast providers. Uh, on iTunes especially, give us a search of The Court of Nerds or Reverse Centaur. Is your RSS on iTunes yet? It is on I, uh, on iTunes. Yeah, search us out. Uh, we'd really appreciate it if you had feedback for us, uh, good or bad, hopefully good. Uh, but we would like to thank you. And that's all we have. Have a wonderful whenever you're listening to this. And don't forget to not be creepy. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.